Our scripture reading today is from John 9, 1 through 7. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, again, church, good morning and welcome. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Nathan. Uh, I'm one of the senior pastors. It's great to be here with you. I was here uh, not too long ago, a few months ago, but it's great to be back. Uh, it's great to be for, I'd love to be able to help out while Bill is on sabbatical. And so uh, it's fun, fun for me to do that. Um, you know, typically we give our pastors a pretty long space a- away from us while they're, they're on sabbatical. That's part of, the, part of the point. So we give them distance uh, from other staff members. But Bill, Bill lost that privilege uh, several years ago when he married my baby sister. So like it or not, he stuck with me. Uh, I'm not going to go three months without seeing her or my, uh, my nieces and my nephew uh, back there. Uh, they came over for dinner actually last night as a family, and it was just a delightful time. I uh, hadn't seen Bill. He started uh, four weeks ago. I uh, hadn't seen him since the 4th of July, and so uh, it's, it's, sabbatical is such a gift, people. It's, it's an incredible thing that we invest in our pastors in this way. I have this theory that every pastor on sabbatical looks 10 years younger. Like, it just takes, it takes it off your face, and that was true with Bill. He looks just rested already, uh, energized, excited, uh, showing me uh, different woodworking projects that he's doing. Uh, it was really, really a great, a great time. Uh, and I just want to say thank you. Uh, thank you for investing in our pastors in this way. We know that that's, that's a burden for the congregation. Uh, everybody feels it a little bit differently to not know who's going to be up here and different things going on. And so just thanks uh, t- for investing in Bill and for all of our, our pastors and staff uh, in such an incredible way. It truly is a remarkable, a remarkable thing. Um, and I know you're doing fine without him, right? Things are fine. You got a great team here. It's okay. And he's going to be back before long. Uh, but for now, you're st- stuck with me. So uh, let me pray for us, and we'll uh, jump into God's word together. Father, I'm so grateful that we get to gather together as your people in this place, uh, reminding ourselves and each other once again of our deep need for you, of who we are, of, of who you are, who you've created us to be, and how our only hope is in Jesus. And so, God, even as we look at the story of this blind man today, Lord, I pray that you would remind us that we're blind, uh, and we need you to give us sight, not just with our eyes, but with everything. And so, God, we come to you needy, broken, desperate, blind, asking you to open our eyes and to give us the life that is only available through Jesus. And do that work, we pray, through your word and through your spirit for the glory of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. So who is blind in this story? You've got to ask that question. Who's, who's really blind? Well, it's kind of obvious. The blind guy, right? He's blind. Uh, 
You know, it's, not, it's not that hard to figure out. And that's, and that's, that's true. That's absolutely true. Uh, and we heard part of it read, part of the story. And you actually, you, 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 what you heard, you kind of expect it to be done by now. Like, that's the story. Blind guy gets his sight. Like, what else is there to say? But we have to look closer because John actually goes on from what we heard read for another 34 verses about this guy. Like, the entire chapter is devoted to him. So we have to ask, okay, what, like, what is John trying to do here? Well, he's trying to help us see. He wants us to see. Because there, there are more blind people in this story than just the blind man. And there are more ways to be blind than just to be hard of seeing, right? And so we have to ask ourselves, John wants us to ask ourselves as we enter into this place, who's really blind? And could it, you know, could it be me? If you haven't already, turn to John chapter 9. We're going to kind of walk through the part we heard read, and then we'll just keep going in this story together as best we can, because it's a lot of text. It's a big story for John. He invests a lot of time. You know, paper was a scarce resource back then, so it's pretty important for John to write out all of this for us. So the beginning of, of chapter 9, Jesus has just uh, escaped another murder attempt, right? And so he's, he's uh, leaving the temple. He's outside the temple. He's making his escape, and he sees a blind man who's been blind from birth, right? Jesus, John tells us, Jesus sees him. A man who had never seen anything ever in his entire life, right? But Jesus sees him. And the disciples, seeing him, like there's an opportunity, is like, oh, let's ask Jesus about this, right? So they say to him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Culturally, uh, this, this was the assumption. Like they lived in an environment in which that, that's just kind of the baseline of cause and effect, right? Somebody had to do something for this guy to end up blind. So was it his sin or his parents' sin? Like, what did he do to deserve this? And I kind of feel for the blind guy in this, because he's like right there. He's like, guys, I'm not deaf, right? I'm blind, right? And so it's, it's sort of rude, in some ways, of the disciples, and yet this guy had heard this question his entire life, countless times. This had been hurled at him ever since he was born. He'd asked it himself countless times. What did I do to deserve this? Because again, that's, that was their sort of cultural framework. And in a shame-based culture, this guy carried this with him every single day of his life, every day. And now begging in front of the temple, that's kind of the idea there. That's probably why he's there at the temple. He carries that. He's asking for food, right? He needs something. He's carrying that shame. And everyone around him since the day he was born has assumed either he deserves it or his parents deserved it. Everybody has assumed that. Instead, Jesus is, says to the disciples, like, you guys, you guys don't get it. The world isn't quite that neat and tidy. I, lo I love that Jesus kind of goes right to that. He's like, you can't, you can't just parse it out that simply. He's, he says instead, it is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. It's a blind man. He's, he's standing there. He can't yet see Jesus. You'd imagine what it was like for him to overhear these words first time probably in his entire life anybody would have even thought that about him it's like oh maybe it's not my sin 
Maybe, maybe it wasn't my shame. Maybe there's nothing I did to, to hear that from him. Rather, to hear that he's blind so that others might see. That's kind of what he says, right? That others might see the works of God displayed in him. Hmm. That, that to me is the, is the first of several miracles in this story. That not only does Jesus see this guy, he actually sees him. In that place of shame from his birth, Jesus sees him. He says, no, that's not what it's about at all. Now, we've got to pause there for a second, because I know that that raises questions for us, right, in our own suffering. And maybe you're here this morning in a place of deep heartbreak, right, or suffering. Maybe you've been in that place for a long time. And we have these kinds of, of questions about our pain and our heartache. And this story, you've got to know, like, this story is not a one-size-fits-all to explain it. But I can tell you this, if you're a Christian, one thing we can know for, sh- for sure, in the midst of your, your suffering, heartbreak, whatever it is, is that God is not punishing you. That's the one thing it, it cannot be. Because Jesus took everything we deserve on the cross once and for all. And so God has nothing, he has no anger left for you. He has no condemnation left for you. There's no sense ever that he, if you are his child, he will never, ever punish you. You can know that for certain. And I don't, I don't know if God has some beautiful purpose like he does in this guy's life, like this huge, I mean, it's pretty amazing what God does here. I don't, I don't know if God is gonna do that for you. There's so much mystery in our suffering, but if you are a Christian, you can be confident of this. Like the blind man, God sees you. He wants to be with you in your suffering, and he promises that it will not last forever. That, that we can know for certain. And in addition to that, right, in the meantime, we have God's people, right, together to carry our suffering. And so if you're in that place, do not try to carry it by yourself. Like, we have one another. This is, this, we're the body of Christ. We are Jesus in this place, not just for the world, certainly for that, but also for ourselves and for each other. So let, us, let us carry it with you. So I don't, I, don't know, I don't know why you're suffering, but this guy, for the first time in his life, just heard that it's not his fault. And that somehow through his blindness, others are going to receive their sight. So I imagine already, right, he's still blind, but at this point he's already standing just a little bit taller. So then Jesus spits in the dirt. Hang that painting of Jesus on your wall, right? It's kind of gross. Like, ah, no thank you. We don't like to think of Jesus like this, hawking a loogie, right? Uh, it's, it's a little bit too earthly, a little bit too human, but he does this. He spits in the dirt, and he, he crouches down and starts working the, the spit into the dirt to make mud. Again, it's sort of, sort of weird, right? And before you dismiss it as just gross or just completely, I, I don't know, out of touch or whatever, just, it's weird, right? Before you dismiss it, this is not the first time that Jesus has, has worked in the dirt. And I, and I love this because John makes this connection over and over again as he writes his gospel. Even, even as he begins the gospel of John, he starts, in the beginning was the word, right? Talking about Jesus. This is going back to Genesis, which begins in the beginning. And so John is trying to remind us here that, that this is not the first time Jesus has played in the dirt, right? This is, this is how he made us. The, the first man, Adam, right? In Genesis chapter 2, was made from the dust of the ground, and so Jesus knows what his mud is capable of, right? Like, even, even his spit in the dirt is like a life-giving sacrament to this guy. It's amazing, right? 
What an incredible God we serve. And so he takes, he takes this, this spit mud, right? And he starts rubbing it in this guy's eyes. And I mean, again, he's not deaf, right? So he heard, he heard Jesus spit. And I'm mean, just imagine, he's like, uh, where'd you get the mud, sir? Uh, it's like, is it not bad enough that I'm blind? You've got to put spit mud in my face, right? I mean, it's, it's a little bit of an awkward scene, but there's something incredible happening here. And I think the guy knows it. I think he knows it because the way Jesus answered the question of the disciples, right? He knows something else has happened. So he's, he allows this guy, right, who he can't see, to rub spit mud into his face. And then Jesus gives him an errand. It's just it's so comical to me, right? Because Jesus could heal this guy in any number of ways. But he gives him an errand. Well, he's still blind, so he has to stumble blindly across town to find this, this pool to wash in. And I just, even as I, as I think about that, there are times, right, right, when Jesus' commands in our lives feel like mud, mud in the face, right, spit mud in the face, like when we don't want to do it, but this is, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. If you've encountered him like this guy already has, you do it. You do what he tells you to do, right? And so this, this guy, he goes, because Jesus had told him in verse 7, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So we went and washed and came back seeing. I just, I wish I could put into words what that had, I just can't even imagine, right? I mean, we can try, all of us can, to have never seen anything ever before. And then all of a sudden, the sky, the clouds, right? Trees, flowers, animals, faces, like of other humans. Like, I, I just, I cannot even imagine what that must have been like. The wonder and the awe, the amazement of what Jesus was capable of with a little bit of mud. And again, this is, this is where you expect the story to end, right? It's like, well, that's great. It's good. Maybe, I mean, maybe he's going to go back and say thank you to Jesus or something like that. But we, we don't expect a whole lot more out of this story. But he's not the only blind man here. You see, you see it right away, Right? Because the crowds, everybody that he grew up with, all, all the neighbors, you know, everybody around him, they're, they're like, okay, what, what just happened, right? We recognize you. Uh, and they, they begin to assume, well, this can't be the same guy, right? Nobody's ever done this for a blind man, right? A person born, nobody, right? So it's got to be a lookalike doppelganger, right? They're, they're quick to dismiss. Like, there's, there's, no, there's no possible way this happened. But So they ask him, like, what happened? Like, just explain it to us. Like, tell us, right? And he basically says, well, Jesus happened. That's his, that's his answer, essentially. But they're like, nah. Nah, it can't, it can't be, right? Again, who's blind in this story? But they, they bring him then, because they're still pretty curious, right? Okay, what just happened, right? They, they bring him to the religious leaders. And all the Pharisees can think in this moment is like, what, what, what day is today? Jesus did what? He worked by making mud? and rubbing into this guy's eyes? Like how, I mean, just like think about how ridiculous it is. They have a blind man, a man born blind, standing before their eyes, who can see. And their only thought is what day this happened on. And they quickly dismiss it. Well, nobody who's gonna, who's gonna in their opinion, break the Sabbath, right? Well, he's a sinner. Sinners can't do things like this. Right, so they're, they're quick to dismiss Jesus in this moment because, well, we know that God's not going to listen to him because he did it on the Sabbath, for crying out loud. I mean, this is, like, it's, it's a ridiculous moment, but who is blind in this story? And so they, 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 they ask the formerly blind man, it's like, come on, like, like tell us, what do, you, what do you think of Jesus, right? It's kind of a bit of a trap, right? But once again, the man honors Jesus, right? 
But the Pharisees, they refuse to believe. So they go to the, the tactic of the, the crowds around him, like, well, this has got to be a different guy, right? It can't be the same guy. There's no way, there's no possible way that this could happen. It's got to be a lookalike. Easiest way to prove it is just to call this guy's parents, okay? So that's what they do, right? So what should have been a party celebrating that this guy who was blind can now see now becomes sort of, sort of like ridiculous trial. And they call his parents to the stand, in verse, verse 19, right? Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And listen, people, their response is so depressing to me. Listen to what his, his parents respond back. Verse 20. We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. Let him speak for himself. And John kind of gives us a little clue there. He says his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, like the religious leaders. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put put out of the synagogue, like excommunicated. Therefore, his parents said he's of age, ask him. So like notice that, like the, the Pharisees, they'd already made up their mind. It doesn't really matter what happens. Like they've already said, if anybody says Jesus is anybody worth paying attention to, you're out, you're gone, right? And his parents, though, people, I mean, can you feel the love? Like, I mean, think about what's happening here. They're too afraid to answer the question. And so they throw their own son under the bus, ask him. Like, we're not touching this, right? Because again, you've got to keep in mind the shame in this story. It wasn't just on their son, it was also on them. They've been ashamed of this boy this child, this now man, their entire lives, right? Because they'd heard it all before, his sin or his parents' sin. They, they'd countless times, and that, that culture, they knew the shame of having a son born blind, not just the difficulty of having to raise a child in that, in that circumstance, right, in that, in that environment, but the judgmental stares, the constant whispers, the shame that was put, not just on them, but even their neighbors, their community, in a communal culture, right? This was on them their entire lives. Even the fact that most likely, scholars point out, that he's at the temple because he's begging. He's hungry. So even the fact that here, his parents have somehow like, distanced themselves from him. They have been ashamed of him their entire life. And now, instead of rejoicing over the son that they can now see, they're too afraid of being shamed again. Because they know they'll be kicked out. If they say anything good about Jesus, they're going to be ostracized. And all, all that shame will be back on them. And so instead, they put the weight, the shame, all of that, they put back on their son. He's old enough. Ask him. This is the first time this man has ever seen his parents. Ever. And already he can recognize the shame on their face. The fear, the rejection. I mean, how long does it take to recognize that, right? In another human. Who's really blind in this story? Verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner, right? Because he did this on the Sabbath, right? There's no way. We know he's a sinner. And the man, formerly blind, answered, verse 25, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. 
I just, I, lo- I love his answer. This guy's he's something else, right? It's like, I don't, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. I mean, you guys thought I was a sinner my whole life because I was born blind. You've always assumed that about me. I don't know. I'm not going to make a, a, a claim about this individual, but this I do know. People, I was blind. Now I see. So the Pharisee, Pharisees, they ask, well, how? Tell us how, right? They want to know how. How did it work? In verse 27, the man responds back, I have told you already and you would not listen Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? I just love this guy. This might be my favorite part. Well, not yet. I'll get to my favorite part in a minute. But I I love this part of the story because here's a man who's been rejected his entire life. I just think about that. Like, he's been considered trash. Sinner, scum of the earth. Begging at the corner of the temple, right? His entire life, this is all he's known is shame and rejection. That's it. That's, and and his, his, his parents just publicly discarded him, right? Said, nope, we're going to stay in the community over our own son, right? That's what they do. And he's now at risk of the full wrath of the religious leaders, the most powerful people in his culture right now, of being pushed out of the community permanently forever. And what do we see here? We see a man who is not afraid and who has no shame. And he stands up to them. These powerful leaders, he stands up to them, testifying to Jesus. So what, you guys want to become his disciple, right? Just cracks me up, right? Because they lose their minds, as you'd expect they would in this moment, right? This is, this is it for them. They can't, they can't handle it anymore. Verse, verse 28, and, and they reviled. Like, I mean, if they hated him before, they hate him now, right? They reviled him, the the, the formerly blind man, saying, you are his disciple? We are disciples of Moses, right, who gave them the Sabbath, right? We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. I mean, the argument this guy is making here it's, it's pretty great, right? I mean, this is, this is really good, right? He's like, have you ever thought maybe he came from God? We just, like, considered that for a moment, because I can see now, right? Like, this is his, this is his arg- argument. Like, God obviously listened to this man because I can see. So do you think maybe, I don't know, maybe we should listen to him, right? That's, that's his argument, And he goes on, he says, never since the world began has it been heard. Have there even been rumors of this happening? That anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born in utter sin and would teach us. And they cast him out. See what they do right there? It's like right back to the question the disciples asked at the very beginning, right? right back to his shame. They dismiss him because what could a man born blind, what could somebody, what could an utter sinner like that guy from his birth, what could he possibly teach us? And so they cast him out. And not just like the the idea, it's not just out of the temple, not just for the day, it's like get out of my sight. No, it's like you're done here. You're done with these people. Like this this is excommunication, like ultimate ghosting, he's canceled, whatever. Like he's treated now as if he no longer exists. He is nobody. It's been quite a day for this guy, 
hasn't it? But who's really blind in this story? Because church, you can't, you, can't, you can't miss it here, okay? And this is, this is the first thing that we've, we've got to take with us in this story. You, just, you cannot miss it, that there is a blindness worse than not being able to see. I mean, it's all over the place in this story, right? There is a blindness worse than not being able to see, or being unwilling to see, right? Or of being blind, but in denial about it, right? Oh, I can see. I can see just fine, right? right? It's so much worse. Because this, this is... This is the crowds. Like, they're blinded by their skepticism, right? There's no way, there's no way this can possibly be the same guy. They, they are willing to find any possible explanation they can so they don't have to consider Jesus is who he says he is. And we can, we can do that. It's like, I, I understand if, if any of us are wanting to reject Jesus, but have you at least considered him, right? Some of us reject him simply because, well, it couldn't possibly be true. I'm not even gonna, I'm not gonna take any of this into account, Right? because we dismiss it before we even look into it. It's a form of blindness. You see it with his parents. His parents are blinded by their fear of, of the shame the people will put on them if they support their son. I mean, think they would rather discard their son than side with Jesus because they're afraid of the consequences, like the social consequences. What, am I, what will my people think if I do this? What will my friends say? What well, the people whose respect I've been trying so hard to get my entire life? I could lose all of that if I go with Jesus. Most of all, though, we see it with the religious leaders, which is the scariest part, because they're supposed to be the good people, right? Culturally, I mean, that's what everybody would have thought. These are the good ones, right? Everybody's looking to them to see what they do and say, well, I want to do that because they're the good people, right? The moral ones, the religious ones. But they're blinded by their certainty, Listen, church, I don't, I don't know if there's anything more blinding than certainty for any of us. Certain of our politics, certain of our theology, certain of our identity, right? Certain because of, of the generation we're a part of, or nation, or ethnicity. Certain about how right and good we think we are for any number of reasons. We love to be certain. And we can be certain and absolutely blind. Just like these guys. Helen Keller, uh, the author and uh, disability rights advocate uh, all the way back at the turn of the, of the 20th century, so a long time ago. If you don't know her story, she lost her sight and her hearing, both, when she was just 19 months old. And my favorite, my favorite quote of hers, she once said, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. Of seeing but not seeing. Of being blind but not even knowing it. Because in this story, everyone is blind in this story, except Jesus. Right? Everybody's blind. But the person who knows he's blind, he's the one who receives his sight. Only him. Only the one who knows it. Okay, go back to the story. Now, now in my favorite part. Because there's, there's like a tiny bit left in this, in this story. Because who's been conspicuously absent for like the entire time almost? Jesus, like where's he been, right? Some of you are like, oh yeah, this is about him, right? But he's not even there, right? He spit in this guy's, he didn't spit in his face, but you know what I'm saying, but mud in his face. And then he's like, am I the whole time? Like where's Jesus? I love, this, I love this part of the story because he's like, he's been all over the place in this story, right? But nowhere to be seen, right? 
And so after all this other stuff happens, like John is writing this out, he kind of waits for us to get to the end, and it's just like, it's bad, right? Jesus finally hears what happened. That on the day he gave this man his sight, he lost everything else. I mean, you have to ask yourself, like, did Jesus make his life better or worse? It depends, right? And yet Jesus, hearing about this, right? Like, man, I really messed that guy's life up. He goes out looking for him. People, I love this about Jesus. Like, he, he knows what happened. He knows what he's trying to do in this man's life. He knows where he's been. He knows his shame, his fear, all of those other things. He's like, I'm gonna go find this guy. I, got, I gotta talk to him. I gotta see him again, right? And he goes out looking for him. In verse 35, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? The Son of Man, that might seem like a strange title for the one who's also the Son of God, but this is a really common title for Jesus in the Gospels. It's used over 80 times. Often it's Jesus referring to himself in this way. It goes back to the, the prophet Daniel in the Old Testament. It's a, it's a description or a title for the Messiah, for the king who would rule over all the earth, who would be in charge of all the nations, for, for the one who could actually heal the blind, right? It's kind of the, kind of the idea there. The Son of God and the Son of Man. Do you believe? In verse 36, the man answered, uh, well, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. You have seen him. Which is part of a short list of things this guy has seen, right? If you think about it, he hasn't seen a whole lot his whole life. But he has seen him. And not just with his eyes. It's clear clear that his scene now goes much deeper than just the physical, right? Because in verse 38, the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Which in that culture means almost certainly that he just like fell on his knees, like just on his face in absolute adoration. Culturally, that's probably probably what happened in this, in this story. Which you didn't do in that culture, you know, for anything or anyone but God, right? It would have been blasphemy of the, of the worst kind. Like he, he could be killed for this, right? But it doesn't matter to this guy because he's convinced, like, I've seen God. Like, you'd only do this for God. He's seen the God-man Jesus and recognized him. He doesn't just see him, he sees him. He recognizes him for who he really is, and he worships. Everyone in this story is blind but Jesus. Everybody. But the one who knows he's blind is given his sight. So what's his, what's his secret, Right? Well, just, just as there is a blindness worse than not being able to see, there is a sight that begins by being seen. There's a sight that begins by seeing. It doesn't begin with how well you think you can see, right? Certainly, how good you think you are. It doesn't, it doesn't begin with your, your good works, like how proud you are, how successful you are, well-liked, who your family is, right, your people, your ethnicity, your nation. No, it doesn't, it doesn't begin in any of those places. It, it's about who sees you. 
Because it's, it's intentional. John is a brilliant writer here, and he writes this story very deliberately. This story begins with Jesus seeing the blind man. It's perhaps the most important thing that happens in that man's life. Not, not his sight, right, but being seen by Jesus. Truly seen. And it ends, right, after this man has gained his sight and lost everything else, with Jesus going out to find him. And when this man born blind sees Jesus seeing him, by truly seeing him, he worships. He gives everything over. He, there's nothing else he can do. The man has, he's already lost everything, right? He's been publicly shamed, rejected by his own parents, scorned by his community. And this guy's been through a lot. But he is fearless and he is shameless. Oh man, I want that. Does anybody here not want that? Right. A life without fear and a life without shame. And friends, the good news of the gospel is that it's still true. Jesus sees you. All of you. Deep, deep with the places that you wish you didn't see, right? The places you don't even want to look for yourself. Jesus sees you. How will you respond? Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, what an incredible thing that you see us. Even now, in the mystery of all that is, God, you see us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would acknowledge our blindness, maybe and acknowledge the way that we've been blinded by either our skepticism or our fear or our certainty in any, any number of ways. God, would you... Uh, the only way we can see where we're blind is for you to show us and for others to show us. And so God, would you do that work? Help us see our blindness. But in so doing, God, would you also help us see how you see us and how you, even now, still come to find us, come to look for us. I pray that you would allow us, give us the privilege, the joy of seeing you seeing us in our sin, in our shame, in our fear, in our suffering or heartache, I pray that we would know deep within that you see and that because of what you've done on the cross and through the empty tomb, you love us, you delight in us, and that you long to commune with us. And so, Lord Jesus, even now as we come to your table, may this be a tangible reminder once again that we are seen, that we are known, that we are loved. And may we experience that from you, first of all, through your spirit, but also through your people gathered together around this table. We love you, Lord Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.